there, and welcome to the Mission Forward podcast, where each week we bring you a thought-provoking and perspective-shifting conversation on the power of communications. I'm Carrie Fox, your host and CEO of Mission Partners, a social impact communications firm and certified B Corporation. This season, we are talking with an impressive mix of nonprofit and foundation leaders, along with a few of the consultants that I admire most. And together, we are taking on some of the most common challenge points and barriers to moving missions forward. And before we get into today's show, I want to share two quick things. First, we have a new home for the show over at missionforward.us. There you'll find all past episodes, opportunities to become a member, giving you bonus content and sneak peeks of new shows, and a whole lot more. So go check it out. You might also know that I write a weekly column each Wednesday called Finding the Words, where I offer insights on communications and life. Stay tuned at the very end of today's episode to hear me share one of these columns here on the podcast. And now on to today's show. Today's guest is back on the show after having joined us on season two. Seamarie Taylor is founder and CEO of Equity Through Action, a DEI consulting practice that she launched after years of serving in different high-level executive director roles. Today, we talk a little bit about the unspoken dynamic in many nonprofits and one of the reasons she chose to leave the sector. The dynamics of power that come with a nonprofit board is on today's discussion board. Now, might sound like a heavy topic, and in some ways it is, but it's a real topic, and it's one you should think more about if you occupy a seat on a nonprofit board or if you sit within an organization that reports to a board. Don't get me wrong, there is a lot of good that can happen when a nonprofit board and executive team is aligned. But today's podcast is a cautionary tale of what can happen when we let power get the best of us. So stay tuned for a great conversation ahead with C. Marie Taylor. Marie, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Um, I love talking about power, power hoarding, power sharing, nonprofit boards. Um, as a 25-year-old veteran of working in nonprofits, I have a lot to share in the next few minutes. I know. I know you do. Well, let's do a check-in first. Okay. I want you to reintroduce yourself for those who haven't yet heard your season two show, and I will hope that they go back and listen to that after they listen to this. But talk a little bit about your journey from a nonprofit executive director to now launching and running this amazingly successful and so badly needed equity through action. So the journey of starting our own for-profit company really centers around what I call the five Ps. That's people, policies, practices, purpose, and power, right? And in the 25 years of running nonprofits, it was all about those five Ps and how they show up. And so what we're doing at Equity Through Action is talking about those five Ps through an equity lens, right? And so I'm so excited to do that through the coaching, through the training, through the technical assistance, and getting people to think about those five Ps of personal, of people, power, practices, purpose, and power uh, through a different way. And so that's the short version of how we try to show up in the workplace. You know, and our our listeners know that on this season's show, we are digging into the power of communications. And what I mean by that, because you and I both love talking about power, we're talking about the inherent power that we hold as leaders and as communicators, what we do with that power 
and why disrupting some of the norms that we have long held inside of our organizations can lead to far greater outcomes and can lead us toward that path toward equity and justice. But the reason why you and I are talking today is because I have seen far too many times over my years as a consultant, and I know you have experienced this, unfortunately, firsthand, is the issues of uh, nonprofit leaders, board members, holding power in a way that actually negatively impacts an organization's ability to do their work and advance their mission. I might just start with a big question of how have you experienced this over time? And then let's break it down a little bit. And my hope, I'll say this to to folks who are listening, is we're going to start first with what we're seeing that are some challenges, but we promise that we will land on our vision for the way that nonprofit boards and leaders can work together. Because I do think there's a lot of opportunity here for folks who are listening, who sit on boards, folks who chair boards, or someone who's a leader in an organization trying to figure out how to work with their board, that there can be a path forward that makes that power dynamic more effective rather than toxic. So I think there's a couple ways that power is showing up in organizations, and particularly even when you think about it through a comms lens, right? I think it shows up in how we're paying attention to who's speaking. I think it shows up in decision-making power. I think it shows up in how privilege is used uh, when making decisions. I think it shows up in whether we choose to engage or disengage, particularly with leaders of color. So I think that's ways how power, those are ways that I have seen firsthand firsthand of how power actually has shown up um, and how we can actually look at it differently. I have been on several boards over my career. I don't know that I've ever been through a true board training that addresses issues of power. Mm. And I'm curious if there even is one or how much focus is put on that process of for someone who is entering into a board position, how to enter into that board position. I've been on a million boards as well, and there isn't a training on talking about power. And that could be transformative. If you walked in and said, let's talk about power and expectations and alignment. Because if we could align our expectations with what the board actually could and should be doing, that might help the distribution of power. And so the thing that I would take away from what you're talking about, where I think we have this misalignment is around our expectations, our roles. And if you want to go a level deep, because we don't have that much time, our bias and our emotional intelligence, right? And even another step is how we're socialized. So we're socialized to be on these boards and they think, oh, I'm going to give my expertise and I'm going to do all these things. And we're not listening. We're not using our emotional intelligence. We're not examining our bias and how we're showing up, right? So I've said a lot. So I'm going to stop there and let that sink in. It resonates a lot because in recent years and even more specifically in recent months, we have seen some very effective, high-profile leaders, Black women, step down from their roles, naming and citing the boards as the reason why they couldn't stay in that situation. I wonder if that's even enough of a call, and I worry it's not, for anything to change. I feel like it's not enough of a call for it to change because there's not enough value proposition for Black women. Right. So I'm going to drill down and use myself as an example. So I have left several nonprofits. Right. And part of that work is because of board frustration. 
right? I'll be completely transparent. And I think it's universal. So until there's a different value proposition of the, the CEO, the executive director, whatever the person's title is, right? Around how they should be able to be free to run that organization, it's going to keep happening, right? And so yeah. boards, until they stop and think, well, how am I valuing this person? What barriers am I putting in their way? What, how am I enabling the work to get done? It's going to keep happening, right? right? And so I think it's just something we really, really have to examine. And if you look at what's happening, people keep talking about the great resignation. I'd love for someone statistically look at the number of Black women who are leaving nonprofits, right? Because we're tired. We're Fannie Lou Hamer tired. Right. I was listening um, in on a conversation a couple of weeks ago with uh, an organization that we just recently started working with. And it was, they invited us into a board meeting as we're getting to know the organization. And the organization is led by a brilliant Black woman, a PhD, who is really fairly new to the organization, but she is, she is taking this organization where they have long needed to be. And she's delivering her remarks. And one of the board members interrupts her and says, sweetie, we're going to stop you right there. And I could have just jumped through the screen and I couldn't even believe the lack of respect that I was seeing right in front of me in front of an entire boardroom. And my fear or maybe my the reality, see Marie, is that doesn't feel uncommon. And in those moments, I wondered, I want to be so deeply in support of this leader. <laughs> And I need to figure out how to do it in a way, right, that maybe also can address this dynamic. And that's a difficult situation to be in, right? And so again, for those folks who are listening, who are on boards, who see these massive microaggressions happening, mm -hmm. there's a lot that we need to, to break down and address on how that power is held at the top. And interrupted immediately. And particularly if you're a board member, right? Part of your work is your number one job is to protect that leader, to support that leader, to be an advocate for that organization and that leader because that leader is holding up the rest of the work. So that's your only job is to be the advocate for that organization and that leader. So in that moment, how can you be an advocate, right? Which means you have to be like, oh, hold on, we're gonna stop right now because sweetie doesn't work for me. It's not landing well for me. I'm clutching my, per whatever, I use humor a lot. So I, here's what I do. I literally clutch my imaginary pearls and say, so Fred, Jamal, whoever said it, that's not landing well for me. And here's why it's not landing for me, right? Yeah. Our role, and then take it back. Our role is to be an advocate. And in this moment, it doesn't feel like that. Right. So we have to, as board members, right? Take the leap of support and the risk to make sure that if we see something that is just blatant, right? We've got to stop it right there. Otherwise it continues. So that skill of see it and say it yeah. is something that folks really need, I think, to, to practice yeah. um, and to learn. Because again, it's in the face of, of uh, addressing something with someone who clearly holds a lot of power and a lot of weight inside the organization. But to your point, nothing will ever change if we don't stop it right there when we see it. Yeah. So I call it, so I know people like to remember acronyms. So I have a couple of acronyms that I share with folks, right? So one of the ones I use is CHOW, right? And that stands for uh, commitment, investment, accountability, and ownership. 
right? So let's say goodbye to the old way that we're working and hello to a new way. What's our Mm -hmm. commitment around supporting this ED, right? What is our investment in this work? How are we holding ourselves accountable and our fellow board members? And what's the ownership in the role? And ownership is, is personal and professional. So what classes are you taking? What books are you reading? How are you practicing being a disruptor? Mm-hmm. Right. So how are you? So I, I, I like, let's use the chow method. The other one I talk about is the arm method. Let's acknowledge, reframe and model. Let's acknowledge what just happened. Let's reframe how we're going to do the situation differently. Let's model different behavior. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then the, the last one is I always when there is a moment like that, let's go back. Let's start with why. Why did you think. Let's use a different name. Um, Cindy, you thought it was important to interrupt right now. Where did that come from? Right. So let's let's turn the table and ask ourselves why. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's one of those norms that I think we've just let go for too long. Right. And so it's just become um, it's bad behavior that's become acceptable. Yeah. Right. And we just have to stop the bad behavior. You know, if this was a child and the child was doing something bad behavior, we wouldn't let it keep going. Why do we let adults right. continue with bad behavior? So I'm going to I'm going to throw another one out to you, okay. a different kind of experience. And I see this one happening a lot, too. And in some cases, I'm really glad I see it. But it's the outcome that feels really difficult. So I've seen a number of organizations in recent years really make a shift to think about what it means to share and distribute power and starting first with the leader of the organization saying, I realize that we have some norms here where decision making has been held at the top in the executive boardroom off in a corner. And that doesn't feel healthy to ensuring that we are all part of this shared vision for our future. And so we were working with a nonprofit executive director a couple of years ago who started the process of shifting that. So decision-making became not fully group decision-making, but she really put a lot of the emphasis on her team to make those decisions. When she went to her board to say, this I find very healthy, we are more productive than we've been, we're shifting and being really intentional about how we share that power and how we're, how we're growing leaders in our organization, the board went nuts. And they said, you've lost control of the organization. This isn't going to work here. And they fired her. Oh my goodness. How are we working in alignment, the nonprofit team and their vision to move their work forward and the board that is there to help advance the work it seems like many times the board is getting in way in the way of the work being done. Yeah, there's a huge misalignment, right? And they boards need to do more self-reflective work to figure out different ways to do business, right? Just because traditionally nonprofit boards have worked kind of in this triangle where the power goes up and there's no room at the top for other ways of thought, it needs to be flipped on its head. They should be the pillars of support upside down, right? And so if they do some self-reflective work and figure out, well, why don't I want to try something different, right? How can we build relational power where there's authentic connections between the people who are actually doing the work, right? And the board. And there's another way. How can we look at the, if you think of a large organization, the different portions of of the organization, right? Let's take the comms people, right? Let's take the fundraisers. Let's take the programs people and relay and, and, and relay the power dynamic to them because they're doing the work, right? Right. And then also I think the other piece is 
how do you respectfully acknowledge their experience and use that in terms of power transformation, right? And letting them make the decision. And often when you do that, then you have this new innovative program. You can have this different experience that happens. It's letting go of that fear, right? Because we're so used to working with power over versus power with. How do you learn to use power with, which is leveraging, right? Or power to, which is self-worth. And that feels like such a powerful reframe of how leaders can work together. Is that part of the work that you all do in equity through action? And do you see nonprofits and boards going through this together or not yet? Like, is it, have they not gotten there yet? We do do this work. It's one of my favorite things to talk about is power. And one of the, one of my favorite things is helping organizations get to this different view, right? Where you've taken that triangle and you've flipped it upside down. And so it takes a long time to get there because traditionally when we walk into the room, they're not ready to do that, right? Which is like, okay, that's fine. Let's talk about and acknowledge where we are as an organization and what opportunities we have to reframe, right? Which is why I walk with that kind of arm model. Let's acknowledge where we are. Let's just take a pause. And once we're able to help them align their expectations with the work, and what really their role is, then we can get to that piece of them distributing power in a different way. So it's really helping them to be self-reflective, look at their bias, do some emotional intelligence work so that they can lead to a different way of work. It's foundational and it's step-by-step and they have to be willing to um, learn a different way of working. For organizations who are trying to rebuild their boards or diversify their boards. We see a lot of this happening. People realize that there's work to be done in curating the board that can help them move to the future. But that can be very difficult when they've got still a certain board in place. Do you see anything or have you uh, applied anything over your experience that has been beneficial to that process of cultivating a uh, board that is not just diverse in nature, but that can be that um, type of board that is open Um, to thinking about new ways of working? So I think ways that have been effective and ways that we try to work with our clients is to really start with the foundation, to go back and examine why did that last executive director leave? Why did these things happen? Let's really look at it. And then let's get in a common, let's set up some common language because everyone throws out diversity, equity, inclusion, but there's no common understanding of what that means for the organization. So we're talking about communications. Let's get our communications clear. What does diversity mean in this organization? How are we being inclusive, right? So we got to start with making sure our messaging is all on the same page. And then we can redo our governance practices based on that common language. Then we can model new behavior because we've learned what that means for us as an organization. And it's in bite-sized chunks because people kind of get overwhelmed, right? If you do it in a step-by-step process, it, it seems to work more for organizations. For folks who are listening who are, I'm going to throw this out to maybe both of us as we think through this in real time. Folks who are listening who are sitting on the board, they're not the board chair, they're not the board leadership, they're on a board and they want to do the very best they can as a board member. Um, have you find that there are good resources for those folks to tap into, to learn, to grow, and to be those kinds of champions that you talked about earlier, right? The folks who are going to help take the barriers away or the folks who are going to help support that leader 
even in those difficult moments? Oh gosh, there's a wealth of resources. One of my favorite resources that I use probably daily is a website and organization called Race Equity Tools. And so almost any topic you can think of, they have uh, information on. So we use them a lot. Um, We also work with organizations. And so if you're on this board is to take a pause and really do some benchmarking, right? Notice who speaks up the most, who's making the decisions, um, who's disengaging around opportunities where power can be distributed differently. So do some, I keep saying self-reflective work, but it has to be around just doing some benchmarking and then deciding as a group how you're going to make some changes. You've got to just really, you have to pause, right? Seems like that's the most important thing in any um, situation when we come against issues of power, right? Pause and reflect. And it seems to be the hardest thing for folks to do these days. We are running in this ridiculous speed, which is just reinforcing the issues that we're facing. It's true. And so part of that, though, is part of the white supremacy culture of how we work. Right. So we have to unpack that and relearn something different. I we talk about it every day at my organization. Right. Like, wait, wait a minute. Does it have to get done today? No, it doesn't. Everyone's going to be OK if it gets done tomorrow. Right. Creating some grace and space for people to figure out how to work differently. And it's no different for boards. Why is there always this rush to get this product out? Right. So go back and asking why and examining the fear. Right. And I know I've thrown a lot of things out. So I'm going to try to summarize a couple of things I think boards could do. One is look at and examine where your bias sits. We all have it. Two is research more about emotional intelligence and how it ties to race equity, gender equity, because the better we are in controlling our emotional intelligence, the better we are at being actual allies and support to those leaders and those leaders of color, right? And then the third thing is examine where your fear is coming from and try to flip it on its head. Well, that was an amazing summation of a lot that we've talked about today. Um, And you're right, this, this inner work that must be done at the top of any organization is the hardest work and is the longest journey to go on because there is a lot to be unpacked and and relearned along the process too. But that gets to us gets us to where I think we're going to end today which is the transformation that could be on the other side of that. What could be the future of how you work together? And does it really feel good to hold that power the way that you do or to control the power the way you do? Or are you doing it because it's the way it's always been done? Are you doing it because that's the way that you were taught to do it? What would it look like? What would it feel like if, in fact, you were in partnership in this work and in support of one another in this work? And how freeing could it be if you really respected people's humanity? Mm. Because when it comes down to it, when I interrupt you, right, when I don't believe you, when I don't trust you, when I second guess you, when I call you sweetie, I'm not fully valuing your humanity, which means I lose and that person lose and the organization loses. Right. Right. So if you care about innovation, you care about the nonprofit showing up in a way that is relevant and responsive and, you know, big in front of the, the rest of the other nonprofits then you have to respect the human that's running the work. 
and think about how would you want to be treated? And if that person's not being treated that way, then you got to do something different. Yeah, there it is, right? There's the entire conversation summed up is it starts with people first. It starts with truly valuing and caring for one another and supporting one another in our success versus breaking someone down, expecting that someone's going to fail before you even give them a chance to thrive. Yeah. And remembering that words are tools of thought, right? And so we're going to project our values with our words. And then it's going to reflect whether we want a new reality or keep the same one. Right. So if we just pause, I call it, I do this 24, 24, 24. Let me wait 24 seconds before I say something. Right. Maybe I need to wait 24 minutes or 24 hours because words are a tool of thought. So we can we just re-examine and find a different way? See, Marie, as always, you are full of practical wisdom that I'm going to go back and listen to this a few more times because I am thinking to all of the moments in the past, what has this been, 22 minutes, that you have given very practical uh, examples of how someone in any of these experiences could take action. I think that's where it starts. Um, and where I will end us is the action I hope you all take listening is to go over to Equity Through Action and see what Marie Taylor has built and is growing because she is, as I noted, a just incredible resource and role model and mentor and leader in this work. And I appreciate so much the time that you spent with me today. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Mission Forward. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are stewing on what we discussed here today, I hope you will drop me a line at carry at mission.partners and let me know what's got you thinking. And if you've got thoughts for where we should go in future shows, I would love to hear that too. Mission Forward is produced with the support of Sadie Lockhart, Nimra Haroon, and in association with the True Story team. Engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week by Light Boys. If your podcast app allows for ratings and reviews, I hope you will consider doing just that for this show. But the best thing you can do to support Mission Forward is to simply share this show with a friend or a colleague. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you next time. Hey there. Some of you might know that I write a weekly column on communications and life in addition to hosting this podcast. I wanted to share a recent entry with y'all as a little bonus content and hope that if you like what you hear, you will head over to mission.partners and sign up to get these insights delivered right to your inbox each and every Wednesday morning. Now on to the column. What would it hurt to ask? Think about the last hard question that was tossed your way. I mean a really hard question. Maybe it was in a large presentation, at a weekly team meeting, or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a colleague. Whatever it was, I want you to stop and think about the last hard question that you didn't have an answer to. For some, these moments can be incredibly trying. They force us to think quick on our feet about how to fill the empty space of silence between the question and our answer. Many of us have been conditioned since we were kids to keep that space between question and response short. Being told by parents and teachers to answer questions when they're asked of us and to speak up so others can hear us. But what happens when the question is so big there isn't an easy answer? I'll let you in on a little secret. 
these are the questions I've come to enjoy most. I like asking them and I like receiving them. Not because I like the struggle or discomfort that comes with them, but because inherently if someone cares enough to ask a tough question, it likely means they also care enough to wait for a good answer. And it's in that period of reflection that I find we grow and learn the most. Here's how it typically goes down when I get a tough question. Someone poses a question in a large group or a small meeting setting. I hear the question, but I'm not in a position to give a fully formed answer. So I acknowledge it. I'd like to pause and appreciate that question. It gets right at the heart of why we have taken on this work. I'd like to do some deeper thinking on this question, and I'm going to come back around to you with a thorough answer before the end of this week. And then the deep work of developing an answer, and more specifically, a point of view, begins. No more are we in the ping pong of question, answer, question, answer, but rather the thoughtful process of crafting a response that deepens our perspective, position, and point of view. All important factors in building trust and ultimately in moving people to action. Recently, I heard someone describe hard questions like this. Hard questions force us to think deeply about our beliefs and our actions. They can come in many different forms. And while asking them to other people can push them, the most important action is to be able to ask the hard questions to yourself. When you do this, you get to the core of why you do certain things. Yes, we must be willing to ask the hard questions to ourselves. They might initially be posed by someone else, but when we default to delivering a quick answer in the moment, we probably have not given that good question a whole lot of good thinking. My dear friend Natalie Burke likes to ask, what are you stewing on? I love that prompt because it gets at the spirit of deep thinking that I find so valuable in communications. So I invite you to try it. The next time you get a tough question, pause before delivering the quick response. Acknowledge the question and the importance of a thorough answer and then stew on it for a bit. Honestly, what would it hurt to ask the tough questions? At the very least, you'll end up with a better answer. Bottom line, it's not how quick you can deliver an answer in the moment. It's how much you're willing to sit with the tough questions that come your way. I guarantee that the process of deep thinking will lead to much greater clarity and conviction in the process. <laughs>